Hi, hello, I'm back again. I know you get two of me in the same day. Wow, aren't you lucky? Actually, the reason why I'm doing another episode so soon after the last one compared to usual is that the producers of Bond recently announced on social media that there will be an announcement on the 5th of October. They refused to elaborate on what this announcement might be, but I personally reckon they're going to announce the next Bond. Because what else could it be? They can't announce a release date or anything else without first announcing who the actor playing Bond is going to be. And I have some thoughts on this. But first, I'd like to talk a little bit about No Time to Die. When I first talked about No Time to Die in my original episode on it way back last year, I said I had a feeling I might want to do a sort of spoiler uh, talk on it because um, there were some things I wanted to say um, and I never got around to doing that so just as a bit of sort of housekeeping while I'm talking about Bond I'm gonna say everything left that I have to say about No Time to Die. Um, in terms of spoilers some of them come very early on uh, again spoilers for No Time to Die if you haven't seen it um, but I found a lot of similarities, it's funny, I've just been talking about Marvel with the Deadpool thing, I found a lot of similarities to Endgame, which sounds ridiculous, but when you look at it, both of them have a five-year time jump since the last film. In both of them, the main character, if you can call Iron Man, the main character of Endgame, has a child, and both of these characters die at the end, right? Now, what am I saying? Am I saying that they copied Endgame? I don't think so, because you've got to remember, No Time to Die was supposed to come out in around April of 2020, and because of the pandemic, it didn't. But that is way too close to Endgame, only about a year later, for them to have been massively influenced by that film. These things are baked into the script and must have been there since the start. In fact, the idea to kill Bond came from Daniel Craig way back in Casino Royale, he wanted to uh, to die at the end of the film, I don't know for sure, it's never been said, but he'd just come off of Layer Cake, and a lot of people say Layer Cake is the film that got Daniel Craig Bond, he played a very Bond-esque character, and it's a film I love, I'm going to talk about it on here at some point, it's a really quality crime film, and it's different to a lot of those other uh, Cockney gangster films, they call them, like British gangster films, the sort of thing Guy Ritchie made. Um, It's different to a lot of those because it seems more highbrow. It's got a sort of suaveness and a smoothness to it. And Daniel Craig definitely exuded that. He was sort of playing Bond in all but name if he was a drug dealer, if you see what I mean. And massive spoilers for Endgame. uh, Endgame. Uh, Well, yeah, actually, spoilers for Endgame. Sorry about that. Um, But spoilers for Layer Cake. At the end of Layer Cake, uh, he does die in one of the greatest um, endings. Well, well, one of my favourite endings to a film when he sort of says, the whole way through the film, you never find out his name. And then at the end, he says, my name, if you knew that, you'd be as clever as me right before being shot. And, you know, to claim a film that dark and that violent has a moral seems a bit silly, but that really is the moral of the story, saying he thinks he's clever, he's not, he's an idiot involved in crime, 
and he got what was always coming to him. So that's sort of what they're saying. But I think, long story short, I think Daniel Craig was in some way influenced by that ending and how great it was to have his Bond killed. And he probably knew what a massive commitment this would be for him. So he thought, let's get it out of the way, maybe, I don't know. And they were like, no, we're not going to kill Bond off in the first one, Jesus Christ. And it was a ridiculous idea right up until last year when Bond got killed off. And Daniel Craig's Bond has been separate from all the rest. If you're going to do a separate Bond, and of course the next one will be separate as well, I don't think they're going to have uh, Lasana Lynch as 007 in the next Bond film. I don't think that's going to be what will happen. So if you're going to have them all be separate, why not kill him off? Do you see what I mean? And it said at the end of No Time to Die anyway, James Bond will return. So that sort of tells you they are going to recast the part and have a James Bond of some description in the next one, which of course I'll come on to. Um, but that's just something I noticed with it. It does create some plot holes, like Bond sort of left Spectre alone for five years. I don't know if I buy that after they split him up from the woman he loves um, and sort of ruined his life in that way. He just leaves them alone. I, I don't really buy that. I mean, yes, he had a wall of... Uh, information about Spectre he's definitely been looking into it but he hasn't been going out and to be honest just killing Blofeld and the rest of them do you know what I mean that's what I see Bond doing even Daniel Craig's more emotional Bond he he would have no sympathy for the agents of Spectre if you see what I mean and there's also something there which has escaped my mind just now. I'll come back to that. Yes, that's what I was trying to think of. His retirement. There's actually a book which the name of it escapes me. But basically someone wrote an uh, autobiography of Bond. Who is of course a fictional character. As if a fictional character in the book who was a journalist had gone to visit Bond. A retired Bond living in Jamaica. Which is where Ian Fleming wrote all the books. Um, to interview him about his life. In No Time to Die, we see Bond retired in Jamaica, which I thought was a really nice point to it. The Daniel Craig films keep doing things which the other Bonds hadn't, showing Bond older, showing him tired, um, showing more of the MI6 team, these sort of things. And I think the whole retirement thing, a Bond who isn't 007, is a really nice way to reinvent the film and show something different. And of course, with the next one, they're going to have someone new. You can't do that with someone new. You can't have a, a Bond start being retired. So it's the sort of thing that they could get out of the way with Daniel Craig as the older, weathered, more weathered uh, version. Speaking of plot holes, there's, there's not much, but there was one bit that bothered me at the end when... Uh, Rami Malek's villain says they're going to meet the buyers for uh, the virus. Now, I can see why they never told you who the buyers are, because it could be anyone. It could be Russia, it could be China, it doesn't matter. Um, any terrorist organization or nefarious government would want to buy a world-killing virus. But I think it should have been the CIA. There's a lot of this in No Time to Die where people double-cross people and that sort of thing. And it's all comes across a bit surprising, but it's never really explained why the double crosses are happening. The most explanation that's 
given really is oh they all work for Rami Malik they all work for Safin okay fair enough like um Logan Ash the CIA guy played brilliantly by Billy Magnuson um he's which also I really like that character character his sort of boyish excitement while being a villain uh those two things at odds with each other I thought really worked if anything, he worked better as the one-eyed guy whose name uh, escapes me. But he was more of a general henchman. And uh, and I liked Billy Magnuson as actually being a more sort of villainous. You know, his sort of cheeky energy makes him fun to watch. But simultaneously, you sort of go, ooh, you, you bastard. Do you know what I mean? So uh, especially uh, when he kills Felix, you know, Felix was fan favorite character for a lot of people myself included jeffrey wright is without a doubt the best actor to play that part he's done that better than anyone else so um so yeah seeing him go uh was a, a great moment but um but yeah you, you want billy magnuson to get his comeuppance so what i'm basically saying i think the cia should have been the ones or the american government should have been the ones buying the virus which also gives a sort of murkiness to it all like oh they're supposed to be the good guys why would they be doing that and it explains billy magnuson's shift or logan ash's uh shift to the dark side sort of thing and um and also i love the way uh bond dispatched him by essentially throwing a land rover at him it's great but they could have used that for the other henchmen lighter has always smoked cigars so it's kind of funny to call him lighter and in a uh, license to kill um bond ends out killing the villain with the lighter that was gifted to him by lighter so um so there's a kind of history of that and what i would have liked is bond to in some way kill him with the cigar if he's you know in the same way un under that car pinned under that car um with the gas leaking out and he could have just lit the cigar and you know this was my friend felix's cigar you know, and uh, I don't know, I'm I'm writing this on the spot, but, you know, <laughs> just tosses it in the gas and kills him that way. That would have given a lot of comeuppance. But that's just a tiny uh, little niggle. Uh, similarly, I'd, I had a, had a thought when he went to uh, Vesper's grave, he could have walked past the grave that says James Bond. It's like, what? And then people come up and try and kill him. And I thought that would have been quite cool. But everything they did worked. I would have just, I would have liked to have known who the bias was. But to be fair, all of that stuff I'm saying about giving it a murky atmosphere and telling you who the bias are, it's not entirely necessary that late in the film and that late in Daniel Craig's tenure. So it's not really a plot hole. I find the thing about the five-year time jump is much more of a plot hole to me. And, um, you know, just because you're plainly not shown it. Um, but that's just sort of my thoughts. And, you know, sometimes you watch a film, don't you? You sort of go, oh, that's what I would have done there. Um, what else? It's full of action, different action to what we've seen before. Great action, sort of the one take going up the stairs thing. Brilliant, very sort of atomic bond, very uh, atomic bond, atomic blonde. Uh, so very, very modern, that felt. And the music as well. I did mention in my original review, I was going to talk uh, a little bit about the music. Hans Zimmer is the best composer working in films today. I absolutely love his work. I always have. And a lot of people spoke last year about Dune, quite rightly. But for me, the Bond soundtrack was 
amazing. I've been waiting for Hans Zimmer to do a Bond soundtrack for years. And for me, he goes straight in there right under David Arnold and um, John Barry as one of the best. And that's after one film. I mean, every track of this playlist is one of the most incredible pieces of music ever written for a Bond film. And he did something different as well, which I didn't want to spoil. But the theme tune to On Her Majesty's Secret Service is used at specific parts in the film. They use the sort of love theme from it at the beginning with Bond and Madeline. They use the uh, more sinister part of it when they're delivering exposition about the plot. And they use the song, uh, We Have All the Time in the World, at the end, which is just brilliant. If you're going to reference moments from other films, you might as well reference uh, you know, reference it musically as well. It's just Hans Zimmer yet again knowing um, how to follow the audience's emotions and how to guide you through the story in the same way as he uses bits of the song, the No Time to Die song, uh, through the film as a sort of uh, love theme for the two of them, uh, for Bond and Madeline. Like later on when he goes to her house and sort of apologises to her, that gets brought up again. Something else I noticed, there's a tune... Um, which I'm not going to do it um, because it would just be me sort of doing a tune, not humming it, but like, dun, dun, you know, so I'm not going to do that. But um, there is a track on the playlist, which is I'll Be Right Back, and he uses a same uh, arrangement that he's used in Batman Begins in Molasses, the car chase from Batman Begins. And he also used at the very beginning of his career in a film called Black Rain with Michael Douglas uh, as a song, Charlie's Badge. It is, and it also plays that tune. I am going to end up doing it, aren't I? Yes. So it's, um, if you do them back to back, it's all the same the whole way through. Yeah, so if you listen to them back to back, I think you'll definitely hear it. And I mention it because I think it's a nice little Easter egg punctuating Hans Zimmer's career through his earlier stuff when he was finding a bit more notoriety and then right up to today. So yeah, those are a couple of my extra thoughts on No Time to Die. So now I'm going to talk about the next Bond. I'm going to do that in another episode. So if you go and find that the next episode, I'll be talking about my thoughts for the next Bond before we find out what the people who actually make it are planning. So see you in that one.